Today, we're going to be digging into Exodus chapter 14. And I, I say digging in so that if you have your Bibles or if you have a favorite Bible app that you use, I want you to go ahead and open it up and keep it open because we're just going to read a portion of this, uh, of this chapter. But then as we go through the message today, we're going to read more and more context to build out our understanding of what God is accomplishing uh, in Exodus chapter 14. We're going to read, to begin with though, uh, just a small portion, uh, Exodus 14, beginning verse 19, and then on through verse 22, and then we'll come back to the beginning in a few minutes. Together, let's hear the word of the Lord. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so that neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it to dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and to the left. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks together to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Lord, we are thankful for your word and for the wisdom contained there. And we ask, oh God, in this space and time that you would meet with us now. That you would inform us of your character. That you would instruct us in all wisdom. That you would guide us to live in accordance with your word. And you would grant us the resolve to walk in that way. Lord, open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Our minds would come to know and understand your will, our hearts, that we would feel its power. Then I ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we had a, a pattern in the church, one that I admittedly am glad that, 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 that is now uh, behind us. The, the church, not the church covenant, the church, not Methodist, but the church kind of uh, American, really. It, it, it came uh, uh, into to leading fashion in the 70s and, and can, persisted on all the way into the 90s. Sometimes you wonder why trends uh, continue when you look back on them, but uh, I don't know. The trend was that, that we in the church were borrowing secular song settings and we were putting Christian lyrics to them. The, you know what I'm talking about? We, we were taking secular songs and putting Christian lyrics to them. One, maybe the most commonly known one is, is when we took a 50 song, Louie Louie, and then we set a Christian set of lyrics to them and we called it Pharaoh Pharaoh. 
Y'all know that one? Any of you that went to VBS in, uh, in the, the, the late 70s, the 80s, or somehow all the way into the 90s, you know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, baby, let my people go. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay, there we go. There we go. Right, like, like, like that was it. That was it. We, this is how we learned about the liberation of God's people from Egypt, right? It was through Louis Louis, and, uh, but that, fortunately, that's gone. Like, like, that trend is gone. We're not, like, taking Nirvana songs and turning them into Christian songs. Uh, praise God. Uh, and, and so we, we figure this out, but, but I want to think about this. Like, like if, if our, many of our understanding of this story of liberation, the story of, of God's movement uh, from uh, uh, his people being enslaved in Egypt on through crossing the Red Sea and into uh, the wilderness. If, if our understanding of that is based on this song, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, which we learned in VBS, then we only learn three things about this story. It started off with Moses in a burning bush. Like, uh, of course, the, the, the chorus that I just sang so, so magnificently, if I do say so myself, uh, is repeated, but three verses, one, burning bush. God speaks to Moses through a burning bush, tells him, go, li- go liberate my people, go set them free. Number two, number two, verse two, uh, Moses stretches out his hand, and God's people walk across on dry land. Uh, you see how they did that, the rhyming? It's just, it's like, you know, they just, it was natural. And then the last one, the last verse is, uh, and then uh, Pharaoh's uh, army uh, follows them into the Red Sea, and uh, all of Pharaoh's army does, does the dead man's float. Do y'all remember the, that was, that was what, what my, uh, my VBS teacher did whenever it was the dead man's float. And Pharaoh's army did the dead man float, because that's what you sound like when you're dying. Um, and I remember as a third grader, that was like, God, that's morbid. Um, but but that, was, that was the all-encompassing view of this story of moving from slavery to liberation that I knew. And th- there are a few massive uh, teachings that, that really get deeper into the substance of what God is accomplishing uh, that, that, is, that is missing from that uh, children's song. There's so much that's taking place in relationship between Moses and God's people and Pharaoh and his authority and the plagues that all take place. So, so uh, you know, we talked about the Pharaoh's army and the dead man float, but we didn't get the plagues. At least we didn't, you know, teach our kindergartners all about plagues and all, all that that was, you know, the, the river turning into blood. Like that, that would have been really interesting to talk to a kindergartner about. But the other substantial portion is what's contained in chapter 14. And so we're going to dig in today into chapter 14, and we're going we're gonna to look at uh, the many lessons that God is uh, presenting to us as God's people uh, and has done so from generation to generation. And we're going to begin uh, at the beginning in verse 1 of chapter 14, and we're going to start with 1 through 4. So if you do have your Bibles, this is why I warn you, we're going to keep going, okay? And you can uh, take notes and walk along with us. One through four to start with. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp at Pi Haroth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. And Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion. 
hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So I'm going I'm to begin with the thing that I'm not going to talk much about because it's a whole nother sermon and it's a deep theological conversation and it's about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And we see it uh, back in Egypt uh, with the plagues and we see it yet again as he pursues. I'm going to give you the, the really quick version. I believe that the best way for us to interpret God hardening Pharaoh's heart is that God provided that strength and resolve to Pharaoh's heart so that he could operate based on his own free will and ultimately he would choose because of his corruption sin. So I don't believe that this leads to predestination. I believe that hardening of a heart is giving strength and resolve, right? And so that's how I want to kind of articulate that. But that's a whole other sermon. We're gonna, we're, you know, I, I didn't want you to think I was ignoring that because it's a big part of the story. But, but here's what I want you to, to begin with. The people of God were enslaved in Egypt and they know the Egyptians. They know their, their military capacity. They know their ferocity in battle. And they know their great strength. It's one of the reasons why they were so intimidated by them, even though they outnumbered them greatly. The Word of God tells that the people of Israel outnumbered the Egyptians, and yet the, the Israelite people were enslaved. And so it wasn't a numbers game. It was about the strength and the military advantages and assets that the Egyptians had, particularly, particularly their chariots. The Egyptian chariot was like a nuke, all right? It, it was like the invention of a gun. It was like the first time that cannons came into the mix. It was like, like the rapid uh, fire uh, casing on a gun so that you didn't have to reload every shot. Like this was a, a, a strategic military advantage. And so if you were the people of Israel and you were leaving Egypt and you were heading towards Canaan, which is, is, is uh, across the, the Red Sea, or the channels and canals that go from the north end of the Red Sea into the Mediterranean Sea, then your hope, logically, rationally, is that you are going to get a body of water between you and Egypt as fast as possible. Why? Because chariots are on, you know, wheels. Those little round things, right? Something about, like, water, that, that doesn't work as well. So, so if you want to take away their advantage, your thinking is, I need to get from here across that water as fast as possible. And so that's the journey that they're on. They're heading that direction. Now, God didn't lead them up by the Mediterranean Sea because that's where the Philistine armies were and the nation of the Philistines was. And God knew that the people weren't ready for like all-out battle yet. They were too weak and didn't believe in the provision of the Lord yet. And so he didn't lead them that way. He led them further south, right to the north edge of the Red Sea, as then it moves into like what is now the Suez Canal, Okay. And so whenever you think about that geography, they're heading down into the desert, and they are almost to that geographic location where they would attempt to find passage. And God comes to them and says, get this, I hope you caught it, God comes to them and says, 
turn around huh and encamp what turn around and encamp I mean, this isn't just like take a quick nap, get some rest, like sit down so your legs can get some strength. This isn't find some water where your people can drink up. This is like set camp, like stall, stop. But, but, but not just where you are. You're on your way to, to that liberation, to the water that is the promise. You're going to cross over that water and you know you're going to head in to the, to the land of your forefathers, the promised land of, of Abraham and, and Jacob and Joseph. And you know that that's where you want to go. But no, God says, turn around. Go back and encamp a little bit closer to this city in this space between the sea and this city. And, and stay there, set up camp, spend the night. And they do. Why? Why? Why do they do that? Well, God, in his benevolence, because he doesn't always operate like this, right? You're about to, you're about to say, right, right. Uh, God actually gives them a why. He doesn't, he doesn't just tell them what he wants them to do. He actually tells them why. He wants them to do this. God doesn't always do that. Amen. Sometimes God tells you to do something and he doesn't tell you why. And you're like, huh? And, and, but this time God says why. God says, I'm going to receive glory in what's about to take place. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to turn back. You're going to move away from the logical, rational plans that you have made. You're going to encamp. Makes no sense. And then what's going to happen is Egypt's going to come. They're going to they're come after you. And then I'm going to have a victory and I'm going to get glory. And the people of God must have been like, seriously? Like, wouldn't it just be easier for us to, like, like bypass all of this that you're talking about right now? Like, go, like we're, we're right here. And, and God says, this is what I'm going to do. You're going to turn back. You're going to encamp. And I'm going to receive glory when they come. So they do. They follow his instruction. They walk in his way. They are obedient, even when massive questions would be reasonable to arise. And here in that space, they wait. They wait. So what happens next? Back to, back to the word, verse 5. Uh, we're going to read 5. We're going to carry it all the way through uh, 14, a little bit of a, a longer passage. Uh, but here we go. So when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and we've lost their services. We had all of these slaves. We could do whatever we want. We could build whatever we want because we had all of these people assets, these people resources. And now we've, we, we've debilitated our industry. What have we done? We're so foolish. Verse 6. So he and his chariot made ready and he took his army with him. Get the way they phrase this. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with the officers over all of them. I don't know why God, uh, uh, why the word of God articulates both that the 600 best and all the rest. Because it, all of them are going no matter what. But, he, but just so we know, the 600 best are out there as well. And more than that. Continuing on. 
verse 8, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, gave Pharaoh that resolve, king of Egypt, so that he would pursue the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and, and troops, all horses, chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Piharoth, opposite Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there uh, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said, uh, they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have brought us to the, de the desert to die? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. And the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So their worst fears came to pass. They are encamped after turning back and the chariots come. And can you imagine what it would be like? You're encamped and, and you look on the horizon and, and you can literally see the chariots of Egypt rolling. You could hear them and their thunderous intimidation coming upon you like a weight. And you wonder, why have we done this? What can be done to, to, to draw victory from this defeat? If the chariots have arrived, we are defeated. It even uses a, a very present military term to define this. It says that the chariots overtook them. They were right on them. And the people did what people do best. And notice I am not giving you or me a pass on this. They groaned. They whined to the Lord with all sorts of their pent-up two-year-old selves within them. And I know by looking at you, you're thinking, I ain't got a two-year-old in me. Uh-huh. When was the last time you had one of those emotional tantrums with someone or, or with the Lord? You saw a challenge that you were facing. You experienced a hardship in life. You wondered why or woe is me. Maybe you just evaluated 2020 and you thought to yourself, woe is me. Life is so hard. Lord, where are you? What are you doing? And, and the Israelite people were professionals at this. They were professional whiners. And all throughout the wilderness, we hear this echo of their whining over and over again, so much so that we like to talk about them, but we fail to put ourselves in that. Here's what they say. They say, we were, we were, we were content being slaves. At least we had food. Uh, we were content being slaves. At least, at least we were alive. And now you took us out here. You know, we could have just died back in Egypt. Aren't there graves in Egypt? Why do we have to be buried in the desert when we could have be, been buried in Egypt and avoided all of this? They're professional whiners. And so I need you to pause just long enough with me right now. And consider 
What is your best wine? The one that is like the, that go-to for you. You know, when you're praying to God and you give the woe is me number to God, what is that about? Is it about money? Is it about your family? Is it about the, the, the condition of, of, of discourse? Is it about some fight that you've been in? Is it on Facebook? Lord, if it's on Facebook, help, help us now, right? Where, where is your go-to wine? Put yourself there. When you know or you think you know that there is defeat or despair, when there is hardship or challenge, when there is something oh too great for anything good to come of it, and you tell God all about it. Moses has a word for the people of God who groan out against him in this way. He's very clear to them, as he's clear to us as well. He comes to them and he says, the Lord will deliver you. The Lord will, is producing a victory right now. If you would just, did you catch that? At the very end, verse 15. If you would be still, if you would only be still, the Lord is fighting for you. Our groanings and our whinings so often lead us to try to fix things on our own, based on our own strength and our own capacity. And yet we fail to be still long enough to let the Lord fight for us and let the Lord direct us. The word continues on. In verse 15, then the Lord comes. Evidently, the people were still, and the Lord had a word for them. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites, he said this through Moses, tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea. Divide the water so that Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptian will know that I am the Lord and I will gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. He restates the initial why of this whole circumstance for the people of Israel. He says to them, I am going to produce a victory today. And here's how. Here's how. Moses, you're going to stretch out your hand over the waters and you think you're hemmed in and you, are, and you are doomed. You see desert on one side. You see chariots on the other. And you see water behind. You think you're doomed. Moses, raise your hand. And the waters I will push back. And when I push those waters back, you'll walk through on dry ground. 
the researchers uh, place these grouping of cities. We, we hear these names, Baal Zaphon and Paharoth, and, and, and we wonder where are we talking about. And we hear about the sea, oftentimes described as the Red Sea, uh, but, but the, the biblical translation is uh, better articulated as the reed, R-E-E-D, the reed sea. And, and so that helps us, along with the placement of the cities through archaeology, to say that, that the, 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 the Red Sea is running from north to south. And at the north end of the Red Sea, there is a stretch of land between the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. That is, uh, that is where the Suez Canal is, but there's also some lakes and some other marshlands and some brackish waters uh, that uh, I want you to think like, uh, a Chafalaya bridge, okay? Like, like, like a Chafalaya bridge where, where you need a, a fan boat to get across it, but it really ain't that deep. It's just deep enough for a gator to really take a, a nice long bath and rest, right? And so uh, the, the archaeology tells us that at the north end of the Red Sea, there was a space uh, that, that would have been most... Uh, agriculturally appropriate for reeds to grow in because it had that depth that it would be uh, not it would be impassable and yet it would not have a tremendous uh, a tremendous depth okay so uh, at that particular point there is a two and a half mile stretch of water two and a half mile stretch of water and so the, the researchers tell us that in order for uh, the east wind to blow and, and to, to push back the waters so that that, uh, th- that could be crossed, it would take a, a 65 plus mile an hour wind. 65 plus mile an hour wind. So let's, let's hear how the Lord produces that in verse 19 and, and, and following. It says, the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and, and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other so that neither went near the other all night long. And then hear this. This is Moses fulfilling what we just read earlier. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind, and it turned into dry land. And the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. A wall of water on their right and on their left. So, so this east wind comes in. That the Lord produces, Moses lifts his hand, and, and it blows 65 plus miles an hour all night long. I want you to think storm surge, where water is entirely displaced. And you can see, you can see sections of the coastline are lower or higher. And that is what God is producing here, this east wind, 65 plus miles an hour, so that the water w- w- would end up kind of tapering off on this side and be pushed back up on this side, so that the, the Ben-Hur image that we have where with the big huge like vertical walls that's probably not accurate it's probably more because the 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 wind is coming from one direction it would cut the water off and then build it up on the other side but i hope you caught this it was not something that happened instantaneously it didn't happen in a moment that wind it says blew all 
night long until the ground was dry. The, the, the ground at the bottom was dry. Think how miraculous that is and think how long that would have taken. You know, after, after Harvey, we would go into houses and there would be a layer of, 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 of silt on the ground in a home. It, it took days for that to be dry in 100 degree Texas weather. But this wind that God is producing is drying the bottom of the sea. And all night long, it produced this wind and produced that dry, dry ground. Now, what's happening while this wind is blowing? Yeah, Moses is stretching out his hand. What's happening to the people of Israel? This is where the rubber meets the road. The people of Israel are waiting on the Lord. The Lord is moving, but they are waiting. They're walking in the way that the Lord has directed them. They're on this path of righteousness, and the threat is yet to the rear. And God has their back. You see, the angel of God had been leading them. You know, the angel of the Lord, the commander of the armies of the Lord, this, this, this angel of God had been leading them, and he had been in the front, and he moves from the front of the army to the back of the army. And this pillar of cloud had been guiding them step by step through this journey from Egypt to the Red Sea, and it had been in the front, and now it retreats, it says, but it doesn't retreat as in disappear. It retreats as it moves from the front and now is in the back. And, and that pillar of cloud, actually during the night, when all of this is happening, it turns, it turns everything that the people of God are looking towards, the sea and the wind, light at night so that they can witness. And it puts everything in their back, their threat, the people of Egypt and the chariots in darkness and cloud so that they cannot see. So as the people of God are focused on the Lord's activity and walking in his way, God has their back. Now that's so unnatural for us, I think, oftentimes because we are in a risk mitigation culture. Think of all of the ways that we try to assess and mitigate risk professionally, Personally, in our families, in our finances, we want to know what are the threats, how real are they, and how can we mitigate those. Some of you have job titles that say risk mitigator, right? Like that's, that's, that's your whole profession, right? And yet, in this circumstance, God is taking care of those risks and not even wanting us to pay attention to them because he wants us to focus on what he's doing right now. How can we, brothers and sisters, walk so faithfully 
according to God's word so that we can witness God's victory and know he's got our back all along the way. Yesterday, there was a, a, a funeral here at the church. Someone that we don't know, uh, but from the community, asked to host a funeral here. And I was honored to be able to, to preside and be with this family. Robert was, uh, was a family man, two sons, grandkids, great-grandkids, two great-grandkids. Praise the Lord. How amazing is that? And Robert owned his own business, working in the oil field, uh, repairing drilling machines. And by all accounts, he was a, a kind-hearted man that would give the shirt off his back. But he also had a hobby. As a, as a drilling man, uh, his hobby was Harleys. He rode with a, with a crew called the Rig Riders. And yesterday, the Rig Riders came to Covenant. And it was awesome. This entire section of the church was filled with Rig Rider, Harley, Harley crew uh, 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 jackets. And the president of the Rig Riders and the vice president of the Rig Riders came up and gave a remembrance of Robert. And as they talked to the family, they told Kathy, Robert's wife, his kids, his grandkids, and his great-grandkids that today is hard. His loss is painful. But no matter what comes, we're here for you, and we always have your back. And then whenever the fellowship was over in the commons and they went out, the family gathered at the edge of the front of the, uh, of the walkway, the south walkway, and all the Harleys pulled around and flanked the entire front of the church and parked. And as a sign of love and protection over Robert's entire family, they gave a salute. Now, I've heard of like 12-gun salutes, right? I've heard of, of bagpipe salutes. They cranked the Harleys up where I know my, my wife could have heard it from my house in Tupelo because 120 Harleys were cranked right in front of Covenant. And the president came over to Miss Kathy and gave her a hug and said, we're here all the way. You know what those kind of relationships feel like in an earthly form. People that have your back all along the way. How much more can you know that when it comes from the Lord? The Lord is looking at you today and he, he's, he's knowing what you're going through and he's with you all along the way and you're saying, I'm facing this challenge and God says, I know, I know you're facing that challenge. I'm with you. I'm with you. I feel defeated, God. I don't know how I'm going to continue. I don't, I'm, I'm in despair. I don't know where the next step should be. He says, be still. I'm with you. I will produce a victory. And all the more, walk in my way, and I have your back. Trust me. I have your back. Praise be to God that he's producing a victory that we get to see and he's guarding us all along the way.
Let's pray. Gracious God, what a gift it is to know your presence in this space and to know that you have you have been faithful from generation to generation. You have been moving profoundly in our lives and in the lives of, this, of the folks in this community. We ask, oh God, now that you would give us resolve to trust in you, that you would, that you would uh, soften our hearts to receive your love and to receive your provision. Lord, I thank, I thank you. I thank you for all of the victories that you've allowed us to bear witness to in the world, in our families, in our lives, and I pray that you would do it again and again and again. Move in us now as a people as we continue to worship so that we might be bound up together trusting in you, the one who's always got our back. Amen.